kind of noticed a recurring theme this morning in the service, and that's glory. Several of the songs that we've sung this morning mention God's glory. Brother, just pray for God's glory. You know, let's continue to pray that God will be glorified here this morning. If you've got your Bibles and want to turn, we're going to look this morning, if the Lord will, at the Lord's Prayer. Now, before you turn to Matthew 6 or Luke 11, that's not the Lord's Prayer I'm talking about. That's what the world calls the Lord's Prayer. But that really is an example prayer that Christ gave to his disciples. The Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Christ prayed, is in John 17. You'll turn to John 17. Some people call this the high priestly prayer of Christ. And that's uh, not a bad name for it. Let's take a look at John 17. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou givest me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those who thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak, in, uh, I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they may be one as thou, Father, 
that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I, gave, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the word that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christ prays what really is a, a pretty short prayer. It takes about three minutes to read through that. But in that, he covers so very much. I want to look at this in three parts. Christ prays really three things in his prayer. He prays first for himself. Then he prays for the good of his disciples. And then he prays for the future church. Christ starts out, he prays for himself, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may be glorified in thee. First of all, I want to say that it's okay to pray for yourself. I have actually known people who thought that it was not good to pray for yourself, that it was uh, somehow uh, a hubris or uh, some other, that it just wasn't seemly to pray for yourself. Brother, if Christ prayed for himself, Shouldn't we also pray for ourselves? Especially if we are praying for God's will in our lives. And, and if we are praying as Christ has prayed here. Notice what Christ prayed. Christ did not just say, God, glorify me. So often I think that's our prayer. God, glorify me. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, I, I, I need money for my bills this month. How about sending it to you? That wasn't how Christ prayed. What did he say? He said, glorify me that I may then glorify you. It's not necessarily wrong to pray that God help us with the house payment if it's in the right attitude. How many times have you ever prayed, Lord, the people at the bank know that I'm a Christian. They know that I love you. Lord, I would not bring reproach upon your name by not paying my bills this month. But Lord, I need help. You're praying in that. You're praying for the glory of Christ. You're praying to honor Him with what you do. It is not wrong for you to pray for yourself if you're praying it so that you might honor Christ through what you do. 
I, I don't see it enough, but I'm so thrilled when I do. Uh, these young athletes and people that have been put in places of prominence. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner comes to mind. That when he stepped to the podium to receive his trophy, the first thing he said is, I want to give honor and glory to God for giving me this talent, for giving me this gift. God gives us the things that we have, the blessings that we have, so that we might honor Him. That truly is our purpose in life. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the writer there says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's our duty. That is all of our duty, is to fear God and keep His commandments. And that word fear there is not to be afraid of Him. It's not to run and hide from Him. It's to reverence Him. It's to revere Him, to hold His name up high. We are here, the sole purpose of man is to honor and glorify God. So many people spend their lives looking for the, for the purpose of man. If you'll just read the Bible, it tells you what it is. Honor God, keep His commandments. It's the whole purpose of our existence. Christ says in verse 4, He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Notice that He talks about this in the past tense. You know, where we are here, they've just had the Last Supper. This is oftentimes called the Upper Room Discourse. This is Christ talking with His disciples. And He is just about to go in the next chapter he goes across into the garden of Gethsemane where he is betrayed by Judas and taken captive by the Roman guard so he has not yet gone to the cross but here he is he says I have finished the work he talks about it in the past tense and in fact a lot of this prayer is prayed as if Christ is on the other side of the cross already that's because in the mind of God, He already is. God has purposed this in His life. This was His purpose for coming here. And if God purposes something in your life, then He can speak about it in the past tense because it's as good as done. I don't think there is anything that could have kept Him from fulfilling His purpose. So he talks about it in the past tense. I have finished the work. In God's mind, it is finished. It's over. He says, I have glorified thee. Now glorify. And now, O Father, glorify thou me, me with thine own self, with the glory which I had before the world was. As we just sang in the song, what wondrous love. Christ had the glory before. Christ was there and He laid that glory aside and He came into this world with the sole purpose of going to the cross. 
to redeem a people that were so unworthy, so beyond redemption, that we had no power to do that of our own. We don't often think of the cross, I don't anyway, as being a place of glory. I mean, Christ was humiliated. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was abandoned by his friends. Even God turned his back on him while he was on the cross. We think of the cross often as as an emblem, if you will, of shame and of suffering. And in a lot of ways it is. But at the cross you can also see the glory of God fulfilled. At the cross we see God's justice. God's righteousness demanded a payment for sin. His justice demanded it and at the cross we see that payment made. As Christ took our sins upon Him and bore them upon His cross. At the cross we can see God's mercy. Mercy is when someone withholds from you the punishment that you deserve. And that's what happened to us at the cross because we deserved to be there instead of Christ. But God showed His mercy, withheld the punishment from us, and put His own Son there in our place. And then we can see the grace of God at the cross. Grace is when someone gives you something that you don't deserve. God gave us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Understand the only sin that Christ had was ours. And the only righteousness that we have is His. God is glorified at the cross through His justice, through His mercy, and through His grace. And Christ is glorified there as He perfectly completes God's will. He pays the debt that we owed but could not pay. He perfectly fulfills the law. And then He rises victorious over death, hell, and sin. And what is the request that Christ made? Glorify me that I may glorify you. He says, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world began. Christ is from the beginning. Christ always has existed. We go back to John chapter 1. What what does it say in John chapter 1? It says, 
Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we drop down to verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is from the very beginning. He had glory in the beginning with God. In fact, John verse 1 tells us that without Christ was nothing made that was made. He is the Creator God. And yet He chose to lay aside that glory to come into this world to be made flesh so that He might bear our sins upon the cross. So that we could be reconciled to Him. The result of all that is in verse 2. As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as accept Him. Huh? No? Your Bible doesn't say that? Mine doesn't either. What does it say? It says, for as many as are given Him. In this short chapter, that word given is used seven times. If you're into numerology, seven is the number of perfection or the number of completion. But notice he says here, he's to give eternal life to as many as are given him. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the world, uh, unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest me them. Verse 9 says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those which thou hast given me. Verse 12, I keep them in thy name who thou hast given me. You go over to verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be where I am. Seven times. He says, Father, you have given me a people. First and foremost, that means God has a people. He has a people. Chosen before the foundation of the world. I, I know you've been studying Exodus on, on uh, Wednesday nights. Exodus 6-7. He says, I will take you for a people and I will be your God. And he repeats that again in Deuteronomy and again in 2 Samuel and again in Jeremiah. He says, I will, I will take for you a people. In a, in a couple of other places, he says, uh, you will be to me a people and I will be to you a God. He has taken to himself a people. Ephesians 1 and 4 says, according as he hath chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world that we might be holy and without blame before Him in love. According as He, God, God is the He, has chosen us. That's you and I. That's His people. In Him, who is the Him? The Him is Christ Jesus. According as He, as God has chosen you and I in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world of the world. God has a people. John 6.37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. 
God has a people and He has given that people to Christ Jesus that Christ might redeem them upon the cross of Calvary. You know, there's a, a real pretty little white SUV sitting out here in the, in the parking lot. I think it's a Ford. And, you know, I after service, I might want to give that truck, that, that little SUV, I might want to give that to uh, uh, Sister Marty over here because, you know, she needs a car to drive. Sister Marty probably appreciate that. But the problem is, is that SUV don't belong to me. Most brother Parrish or Sister Sarah. They probably wouldn't be too happy about me giving it away. I cannot give you something that I do not own. God gave a people to Christ because He owned that people. We are His. And He owns us. And I, honestly, we need to own Him. And He goes on to tell us that what eternal life is. We often think of eternal life and we think of it in the construct of time. It's a place where there is no beginning or no ending to time. It's just there. But Jesus says here it's even more than that. He says, and this is eternal life. That they might know the one true God. That word know is, is, is to know Him in an intimate manner. As he knows us. We are to know the one true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom he has sent. We are to know God. And we are to know his son. And brother we have an eternity. In which to do that. Then in verse 6 he changes and he begins there to pray for the disciples. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were and thou gavest them me and they have kept thy word. He has manifest his word. How does he do that? Well, he, he manifests himself through his preaching. He manifested himself through his teaching. And he manifested himself through his miracles. He used his miracles to show that he was God. But we need to understand that if he had never turned the water to wine, if he had never calmed the seas, if he had never caused the blind to see or the lame to walk, if he had never raised the dead back to life again, if he had never done any of those things, he would still be God. It is not the things that he did that made him God. It is who he is. And whether he ever does anything else for us, he is still God. And he is still worthy of our praise and adoration. 
in the Old Testament, you know, God spoke to his people through prophets. And he would allow those prophets to have signs and miracles that, to prove that, that they came from him. But between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about a 400-year period there where God was silent. He sent no prophets. He, he did no miracles. But he was still God. Whether we see him or not, whether he's manifesting himself or not, he is still God. He says here, he says, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou hast given me out of the world. We need to realize that we are not a part of this world. We are in this world. We have to live in this world, but we are not to be of this world. We are to be out of the world. You see, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship's in heaven. We are just visitors here. Sojourners. He says, Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. The disciples believed, in fact, in, in chapter 16, right before they go into this, verse 29, verse 16, he says, His disciples said unto him, Lo, thou speakest, lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things. And needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest from God. The disciples believed. And he's saying, Lord, I want you to keep them. Because I, they have taken my words. I've given them the words that you have given me. And they have believed them. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. You know, the world will go back and quote John 3.16 and tell you how God loves everybody. Well, if God loves the world, why don't He pray for it? He prays for those that were given Him out of the world. The Bible will not support the theory that God loves everybody. Go to Romans chapter 9 if you want to, verses 11 through 13. It talks about the children having not yet been born, neither having done any good or evil, so that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. The Bible will not support God loving the world. Not if we are speaking in terms of this physical, carnal world. 
I truly believe that the world that's spoken of in John 3.16 is the world of God's elect. You know, when you look at Luke chapter 2, it says that all the world was taxed. Well, did this bunch of Georgians get on a boat and sail over to Rome and pay that tax? No. Who was taxed in that taxation? The peoples whose citizenship was in Rome. The people who owed allegiance to Caesar. The Roman world was taxed. So if the Roman world is the world of Luke 2, then why isn't the world of the elect the world of John 3.16? And why isn't that the world that, God, that Christ prays for here? He says, I, I pray not for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are thine. And he says, all mine, or that's verse 10, says, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And there we see the unity of the Godhead. Christ is in the Father, the Father is in Christ. And he says that he was glorified in them. How is Christ glorified through us? He's glorified when we keep His commandments. He's glorified when we love each other. What does He say the first and greatest commandment is? Love God. And the second is likened to this. Love your brother as you love yourself, right? Verse 11, He says, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are one. And again, he says, I am no more in the world. He's taking a view from the other side of the cross. He's viewing the time when he has ascended back into heaven, which is coming very, very soon. He says, I'm not in the world. He says, but keep them. to keep them from the world. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept them so that none is lost but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He says he has kept us and he, and he asked God to keep us. That word keep is to guard and protect. But it has not just, I, I don't think it has just a meaning for here, but it has an eternal meaning to it also. Is that we are to be kept here in this world. He says in the next verses, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He is to keep us from the evil, to guard and protect us here in this world, but also to protect us into eternity. He says, no one is lost except the son of perdition. Judas Iscariot. A lot of people want to read a lot into that. and There's a lot of people that want to debate whether he was one of God's that, that fell from grace or whether he was never one of God's to start with. I don't even want to get into that argument. I think it's a, I think it's a waste of time, quite honestly. Christ tells us very clearly here 
why that happened. So that Scripture might be fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you, that's good enough for me. He says that the Scripture might be fulfilled. The only one that was lost was the son of perdition. And he prays that he would keep us and keep us from evil. He says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Sanctified means to be set apart, to be set aside. Christ prays that we be set apart. But notice that he doesn't say that in a physical sense. Verse 16 says, They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. No, I'm sorry, verse 15 is what I, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. He doesn't pray that we be set aside physically. You know, I, I've thought often that wouldn't it be nice if we could find oh, I don't know, maybe a private island somewhere. And we could just take all of our church family and we could just go there and live untouched by the rest of the world. Wouldn't that be awesome? But see, that's not what God has in store for us. God says, I, don't, I, I pray not that you take them out of the world. I, I don't want them separated from everybody. Our, our purpose is to be here and to be a light for Christ in a dark world. He says, I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father, but I want you to protect them while they're in the world and protect them from evil. So we're to be sanctified, but not in the sense that we're to be physically separated from the world, but that we're to be spiritually separated from the world. how does he do that? He says he does that through the truth. What is truth? He says thy word is truth. We, we have truth right here. The world will tell you that there is no truth. Or that truth can be different from person to person. But brother, I'm here to tell you that that is not true. That is absolutely not true. Truth is always true. You know, there was a time when the popular idea was that the world was flat. And if you sailed your boat out far enough, it would fall off the edge of the world. And the people standing on shore could see the boat and they'd go out there and eventually they'd lose sight of it. And so I, I guess the boat fell off the edge of the world. But then later they discovered that the world was round. Now did the world just become round? No. The truth is the world was always round. The perception that they had in the beginning of what was truth was not true.
There, there seem to be so many things coming in the world today that people want to tell us is not true. A man can become a woman. No, I'm sorry, I don't care how many dresses you put on or how many surgeries you have or anything else, a man cannot become a woman. In fact, if people would be truthful about it and honest about it, there is a genetic difference. Women have an extra chromosome that men don't have. I was taught that in about the fifth grade. And that has not changed. And until they find a way to take those chromosomes out of men, they'll never change a man into a woman. Truth is always truth. Then we come to verse 20. And he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Christ has prayed for himself. Christ has prayed for his disciples. And, and understand when I, when I say he's prayed for his disciples, yes, he was praying for those that were there, that were following him in that day at that time. But I believe that all the things that he prayed for them there also have purpose for us today. And he says, he says here, I, I pray not for those alone. So the things that he was praying for those disciples, he's also praying for those who shall believe through their word. Brothers, that's you and I. We are the ones who have come to believe through their words. You know, the thing... Is when he says through their words, their words had not been written yet. But he knew that they would be. And he knew that his people would come to believe through this written word. The theme of these last few verses that he has written to the church of the future is very simply unity. Unity. He prays for unity. It's the theme. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which also shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent us. And the glory which thou hast given us, has given me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. And in them, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me, and that thou hast loved me, and uh, hast loved them, and hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He said he's one. He, that one is repeated over and over again. The unity of God's people, not just with each other, but with the Father and with the Son. And don't confuse unity 
with uniformity. In the army, you have uniformity. Everybody dresses alike. Everybody walks alike. Everybody does everything the same. They, are, they have a uniformity of their people. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And brother, we all have different gifts. And in order for the body to work properly, we need that diversity of gifts. Not everybody can be an eye. Not everybody can be an ear. In order for the body to function properly, you have to have a diversity of the gifts there, but all those gifts should work together for one purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. So we are to have unity in what we do, but not necessarily uniformity. Not everybody can be a song leader. Not everybody can be a, a pastor or a preacher. Not everybody has the gift of giving. The gift of criticism is not in the Bible, so don't even that's not even a, a part. We're not <laughs> all the parts are needed that we may function properly as a body, as the body of Christ to glorify Him. He says, I have declared thy name and I will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Christ declared the name of God. And he continues today through his word, through his written word, through his preached word, to declare the name of God. Through his people and the things that we do, we declare the name of God. Why does he do this? He says that that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. The first commandment, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, spirit, and body or soul. The second commandment is likened to it to love thy neighbor as thyself. We are to love. John 15 verse 12. This is the commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Uh, John 13 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. You want to show the world that you are a disciple of Christ? You do that 
through the love that you show to one another. We do it through the love that we show for each other. Christ's prayer, He prays for Himself. He prays for God's will in His life. He prays to glorify God. That should be our prayer also. We should know that He prays for His disciples. And we should be disciples. Christ prays for us. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father today where He ever makes intercession for us. You know, the Bible tells us that those times when we, we don't have the words and we can't put our thoughts and our heart into words, that Christ is there translating that. Christ prays for unity in the church, not only not only that we have unity one with another, but also that we have unity with the Father and with the Son. He's, he prays, he says, I, Father, in you, and them in me. And if you, if you think about that, I, I think about it as, as Christ holding His hands and we are there in His hands and He folds them gently around us and the Father puts His hands around us. Think of the security that there is in that. When he says that no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Brother, if we are in Christ and Christ is in the Father, think of the security that is in that. Think of the unity that is in that. Pray that we may be kept from the evil, not just from the evil of Satan, from the evil of this world, And that one day we will spend eternity knowing God and knowing Christ.